everyone. My name's Michael Kaiser. And I'm John Wilson. And welcome to another episode of Make Ours Marvel. This is episode 148 of the podcast. It is a journey, uh, a voyage, a, a, tr- a romp, if you will, through <laughs> the Marvel superhero adventures, starting with the Fantastic Four number one in 1961, and going all the way up through, because we're going to finish today, February 1967. <sighs> Oh, no. And then it's time for a little bit of March as well. March Madness. Wow. So we have coming at you today, Amazing Spider-Man 48, The X-Men 31, Sergeant Fury 42, and Thor 140. And I get Spider-Man tonight. So (gasps) You also get Sergeant Fury. I also get Sergeant Fury. So it balances out, I guess. It balances out. You get the, I mean, I I like the Sergeant Fury story. You get the most and least exciting, and I get the two Midlands. Yeah. Um, I just need to look up one thing, and then I think I might just summarize this without even looking, because it's about the most straightforward Amazing Spider-Man issue ever, in a way. Uh, what's the dude's name that is Blackie he's Drago. Blackie. Okay, so I'm just going to try and do this. Old school? Because nothing happens. Um, well, something happens, but nothing complicated. Uh, 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 so the vulture is on death's door in a penitentiary, where we left him to rot, I guess. There's been some sort of accident. I don't think they specify what it is, but some accident that's killing him. So he's asking to see his cellmate, Blackie. And they're like, well, he's dying anyway. What's the harm? So they bring Blackie in and he whispers, Blackie, now that I'm going to die anyway, I might as well tell you that in case I ever got, uh, you know, arrested like that happened to me, I took the precaution of bearing an extra vulture suit right outside the penitentiary border, you know, right outside the gates. So all you got to do is get past the guards for like five seconds, and then you can fly on out of here. And Blackie's like, oh, okay, thanks for that. (laughs) By the way, that accident that no one knows what it is, that was not an accident. It was me. (laughs) And the vulture's like, oh, man. And then we don't ever see him again. But Blackie hijacks a delivery truck and... Sure enough, it only he only can get to about 500 yards or something before they're chasing after him. They normally would have caught him, except there is a vulture suit buried right where the vulture said it was. So he puts it on, and he kind of flies away clumsily, but he does get away. Um, then he starts robbing a bunch of people. At some point, he designs a helmet to make himself look even hipper. Um, meanwhile, Spider-Man, who was looking for Craven from last issue in the dead of winter, has now developed a cold. And he goes to school, and they say, no, no, go home, you're sick. He goes home, he watches some TV. On the TV is J. Jonah Jameson uh, blaming Spider-Man for the Craven incident. And then he flips the channel only to find news about the vulture, or a vulture going around robbing people. So he's like, oh, but I feel really bad, and I got stars floated around my head. Maybe I should call Daredevil and... You know, since I know who he is, and I did help him with Stiltman. No, no, I can't do that. What kind of superhero am I if I just, like, pass stuff off every time I get a zit or something? So forget it. I'm going out there on my own. So he takes off, um, and then Harry comes home, and then uh, Aunt May and Anna Watson and Mary Jane Parker go to Peter's house when he's not there, and Harry answers, and they're like, we heard that – we somehow heard that – Peter went home from school sick. Aunt May is, of course, freaking out because Peter's so fragile. He's such a fragile boy. Um, And Harry's like, well, he never came home as far as I know, so maybe he wasn't that sick after all. And he's at, like, the the soda shop getting a Coke. And they're like, well, let's all go find him. Okay. Um, And then that's the end of that subplot. 
Spider-Man finds the new Vulture. They get in a fight. It doesn't go well for Spidey because, like, it's an aerial fight, and he's got a head cold. So, like, the higher he gets, the more dizzy he gets, and he is really having a hard time, like, staying balanced and not falling to his death. And ultimately, the Vulture uh, clocks him hard and uh, knocks him out and leaves him unconscious on a snowy building top and flies away laughing because it's like, yeah, Spider-Man's going to die from exposure. The end. Yeah, a bit of a cliffhanger there. Yeah. Okay, Mr. I don't like the vulture. Did this do anything for you? I gotta say, like, it was really the least complicated Spider-Man story we've had in a long time. I was kind of surprised at how very little happened, it seemed like. It's, like you said, it's a very straightforward story, and I feel like that's happening more and more with Romita. Mm. Um, not to slag on Romita, just the difference between him and Ditko. I think the stories are becoming very straightforward. Um, but new well, maybe- vulture... Maybe because Flash left, and so all that subplot is gone. And yeah, he's off I don't know. in the war was, Gwen was in there. I forgot. She has a new hairstyle, and, and Peter's like, oh, it looked great. And she's like, oh, thank you. And then Harry was stupidly said, uh, oh, it looks just like Mary Jane's. And she said, oh, screw you, and walked away. So Yeah, he, she's like, oh, I, I didn't even notice. And Peter's like, oh, my God, Harry Osborne, take your foot out of your mouth, please. Yeah, right. Um, it was okay. I don't know. I don't think he's like any better. I feel like, look at if you just go to page, uh, um, um, uh, uh, sorry, page, I can't see because I don't wear glasses right now for some reason. Page 13, Spidey won the fight. That should be it right there. When Spidey punches him in the face when right Spidey there? Spidey punches a human being in the face with both hands flying across a bridge. Like, it's over. It's done. He did talk about how he didn't really have the leap that he wanted, so it was not as strong of a punch as he should have. But you're right. If he's flying at you and he punches you in the face with both fists, you should be done. You should be. This isn't the rhino. It's not even Green Goblin or... No. Anyway, it was interesting. I don't... I didn't ever realize that there was another vulture, I guess. So Mm -hmm. that was kind of new. I don't think Blackie's going to have long. I don't think the original vulture died. I do think the cover is cool and that they covered his face, so we don't know that it's a new vulture. Yeah, it was a cool choice on the cover. Uh-huh. Not only not new vulture, but also not new design. Yeah, well, he just steals the other the vulture's tech. But he did add a helmet. He added the helmet. So it, it's a little bit of a different look for him, just kind of overall. Um, mm-hmm. And this is the look that goes into the cartoon series. Oh, the, really? The first cartoon, yeah. I mean, the thing is, like, as much as I make fun of the vulture being like a decrepit old man so that's like a really bad villain for spider-man but like at least the original vulture looked like a vulture he did he was very vulture like he had like the hawk nose Uh uh-huh and this is just that was all ditko and this is like this new guy this blackie guy is a very ramita uh gangsta looking uh meathead guy with a vulture outfit it doesn't quite have that same design element correct i agree on that and yeah blackie doesn't stick around i'm I'm not entirely sure he survives like past this little run of issues that he's in. Because if you look at the be, cover for the next issue, it's Vulture and Craven. Versus I'd be very Spider-Man. surprised. Be yeah. very surprised. This um, has got to be it. I assume Vulture comes back and gets his stuff back. Maybe I even think pays so. him back. Yeah. And there's actually a really, really epic opening splash page of the Vulture like sitting on a cornice, vulturing in the rain, and it's it's a pretty memorable image when you see it. And I think that's like the next big Vulture story. And I'm pretty sure that's when Vulture Vulture comes back. Who, by the way, is on his deathbed. And we don't get his name. Blackie Draco calls him the Vulture. He says, I'm the Vulture. And uh, all the gods are like, yeah, the Vulture. 
and no one wow, says you're right. his name. They also don't tell us what he's dying of. I'm pretty sure it's the same accident that Aunt May had. <laughs> <laughs> right. It says mishap. It's old oh, people Oh, in the disease. prison workshop. Right. Well, see, the thing is, I thought this would make sense if it's like poison or something, but then they went out of their way to say workshop. So I thought, oh, okay, we're going to see like a bandsaw coming out of his chest or something. But Right. Then, then it's like Blackie's like, no, I did it. It's like, oh, well, how does anybody think it's an accident if Blackie like shoved a bandsaw on his chest? So I don't know. What kind of accident do you have in a workshop that doesn't immediately maim or kill you? Right. Or, 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 or put the right blame on the right people. So to me, it seems like it'd be something like poison or mm-hmm. I don't know, which has nothing to do with the workshop. Unless he like messed with the uh, tools or something. That might be what he did. Like he loosened a screw and then the thing blew up on him or something. Okay, an explosion. I could see an explosion hurting him. Yeah. Maybe he's got some shrapnel in his chest that he's going to need Tony technology to, to wiggle it around with magnets. <laughs> but he also um, says the other, the other clue, we're really harping on this that they're never going to tell us, but the other clue is the more you excite yourself, the faster you kick the bucket. So that really makes me think there's like shrapnel digging its way into his heart or something. Anyway, anyway, we don't talk about it. We don't talk about it. Um, let's see what else we got. Um, Harry will always be a loser. His whole thing with with Gwen. He's just like he's supposed to be sort of dating her, maybe like a, a loose boyfriend, uh-huh. and he compares her to one of her major rivals. And, you know, I don't know that women have to have rivals, but that's why the story's being oh. told. Oh, they do. These two do. Yeah, these two and, definitely do. And I, I don't know if she did it on purpose, but she sure seemed upset that he compared her. Um, is he a loser? I, I'm never really sure where we're supposed to put Harry, because he was hanging with Flash and Gwen when Gwen was, like, Queen Bee of the school. Mm-hmm. But is he just like that because he's rich? Or that's is he actually question, cool? Sure. Do people actually think he's cool? I mean, Peter seems to like him, and we're supposed to think Peter is a good judge of character, right? Most of the time. <laughs> yeah. Um, see, I don't know, because he does kind of, at least in my mind, he sort of takes on a doofy characteristic. And so whenever he mm-hmm. was shown in the spectacular Spider-Man cartoon as very Jimmy Olsen-like, it mm-hmm. resonated with me. But in mm. most things, he's shown to be kind of cool. And you're right, that is how he started. Um, yeah, but this issue doesn't seem as cool. So maybe no. they're changing him a little bit. Maybe they're metamorphosing him. And after uh, after Brand New Day and One More Day happened, he was like clubbing and a big scene and paparazzi and all sorts of stuff. So maybe he's only cool by virtue of being rich. Makes me think of like, I really like that uh, Raimi movie where, uh, what is his name? James Franco kind of like plays him. Like he's cool and he's handsome, but he also likes Peter. So it's like, is he? Does that make him like a even cooler person that he hangs out with Peter, unlike other people who can't do that for fear of their image? And then he's not quite as smart. He's not as smart as Peter, like in any way. So in a lot of ways, he does lean on his dad, and he's a rich daddy's boy. And he does obviously have, uh, you know, uh, uh, selfish motives when it came down to his father and becoming the whole. Green Goblin Part Two and all that, so I don't know. It was like a cool, kind of a cool ba- balance he uh, he portrayed that character with. But maybe that's what Harry is. He's just kind of an all over the place person because he sort of fits in either. He's a dork, but he's rich, so he can get in. Right, right. Yeah. And maybe he's a dork with enough social confidence that he's able to overcome most of his dorkiness, but it still comes through sometimes. I mean, he's got a car. That's right. pretty cool. That is pretty cool. And and his own place. Um. 
Keenan pointed out that there's no more scruff on Peter's hair, so he must have gotten a haircut at some point. Okay. Uh, certainly, they're not scarf. They're not you know mentioning his hair being long anymore. And now, um, of course, we've we've talked about how like Ramita has not yet started drawing Gwen like Gwen. No, uh, he's slowly metamorphosing. But it this, is. She's, yeah. this hairdo is like even a step in a, a weird direction. It's not quite the right. same direction. Right. I thought for a second when they mentioned the haircut, I was like, oh, did he give her the? Did he finally give her that you know girl next door hair? But no, they went with this weird Mary Jane beat thing. Well, she's no longer doing the clippies, and now she's no. kind of like hanging down around her head, and she pulls that back with a headband and puts on a long coat and go-go boots and a skirt. Then that's her. She's still got the evil eyebrows. Like that's like probably the last to go, I guess. Yeah. They're very, that's like her defining characteristic is these really arched eyebrows that I don't ever think of her as having, but we have the first appearance of a character who will eventually become very important. Is it the scientist? Oh, professor. Yeah. Do you know who Professor be, Warren is? He is really um, the Molecule Man. No, I don't know. <laughs> okay. Um, I'm not going to say. He, okay. Um, he has the same name, weirdly enough, as Peter's high school teacher, and eventually gets retconned that they're brothers, but it never really plays into the story as far as I know. Mm. So it makes me wonder if like Stan had a high school teacher named Warren, and that's why he gave both of the teachers names Warren. Um, but yeah, Professor Miles Warren... He is background for a long time, but about 100 issues from now, maybe 80 or 90 issues from now, he will become a really big deal. He's going to develop a supercomputer that can figure out Spider-Man's true identity. Exactly. He but does then it goes out- AWOL. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, there's a page 13. Turn to page yeah. 13. There's uh-huh. this really great panel of him on the side of a building looking out at the sky, looking at, there's the bridge over there. It's like, I've oh, got to yeah. get there super quick. Yeah. Next panel, he's there. Uh-huh. So well, my, what did he swing from? How did he get there with any kind of speed? He uh, jumped on the back of a car and hitched a ride. I guess. Or, or he did that thing he does in the movies where he pulls on his web until it's a slingshot and flies across. He shoots his web five miles to the other side of the island. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he can attach to clouds. Everybody knows that. You know, he really can. Uh, I like the little beat on page 10 where he talks about maybe calling Daredevil and then he just recently helped him with the stilt man. So like we literally just covered that issue. Right. Last episode. But not just that, that it's like a cool continuity thing but also it's like that kind of makes sense if you know the secret identity of another hero and this is the first time within spider-man i think they're acknowledging that or even talking about it uh it kind of does make sense that you might want to call them once in a while when you have a blistering fever or something unfortunately he didn't go through with it and of course why would you because then it's a daredevil comic and not a spider-man comic but right right like he but they they have not talked about spidey knowing who daredevil is within spider-man have they this is all Daredevil's side of things. I missed the first part of that question. Say it again. They have not talked about Spider knowing who Spider-Man knowing who Daredevil is within the Spider-Man time. Not within the Spider-Man comic, no. Yeah, so this is the first time we're actually getting Peter's side of things a little bit. Not a lot. I still don't know why he wrote that dumb letter, but... In fact, there's... Um, when I was doing my first Spider-Man read-through, there's a Daredevil issue later. I actually used it in a zinger at the end of a recent episode where... Uh, Peter hears that Matt Murdock was dead. Uh huh. 
And he's like, I thought Daredevil was Matt Murdock, but I guess he can't be because Matt Murdock is dead. Yeah. Um, and I read that appearance because it's on the Spider-Man appearance list. But ah. the stuff where you find out that Spider-Man knows his identity, he doesn't actually appear in those issues. So it never gets mentioned in the Spider-Man comic. And Spider-Man hmm. and Daredevil never have that conversation unless they do like way, way, way the heck down the road whenever – whenever, because – after 2000, unmasking between heroes becomes more common. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe they have a conversation about it then, but I, I I don't know about it. I thought, well, I don't know what when all this takes place, but I thought during the Born Again run, Peter visited Matt in a Spider-Man comic to see if he was okay. May have done. I have not read those. But I don't know if it's been a long time since I read that, so maybe they don't actually say out loud what they're saying. I don't remember. Um, I have two last things on this. No okay. fewer than three times in this issue does Blackie Drago exclaim how no one can stop a man with wings. Oh, yeah. Angel would love this issue. Right? <laughs> Angel and Vulture need to fight to see who can stop a man with wings. Oh. And even the Vulture on page three is like, uh, 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 whoever wears the Vulture's wing will possess the power to destroy Spider-Man. I was like, okay, buddy. Okay, yeah, sure. (laughs) You can fly. That's That's great. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Um, The last thing is just a really weird language thing. On page 17, when Mary Jane shows up Mm -hmm. and Harry Osborn is there, um, she says, let's drive Mrs. P and my ever-loving auntie home in your chariot. Do you see that? Speech bubble? Yeah. Can you read the rest of it out loud? Then we can join PDO for a Coke. Oak? Right? Is that what she said? I don't or she's know. Okay. Is it because okay is not really a word. And I think that like it took a while to settle on the spelling of okay. Oh. I can read this as like a weird spelling for okay, but when it was still like, you know, but it almost sounds like she's trying to be clever and like rhyme her words, like, you know, because she's a bottle of slang that must explode. Yeah, I can see this more as like some weird beatniky just rhyme things with random things that don't make any sense. Okay. Coke, but I don't know. That's the but way also, I read it, but I wasn't sure. Speaking of, as we were talking about Harry and his evolution, he definitely looks more nerdy in this issue than ever before. Look at that page right to the panel right to the left of the one we're just talking about. Uh-huh. Like that is not a cool guy answering that phone, answering that door. <laughs> like he looked more generic before. They're starting to add like weird features. Anyway, it's interesting. But that's all I've got on this one. Um, all so right. I, I guess I never really got your your final opinion. Did this vulture do anything for you more than the original vulture, or is nah. vulture still dumb? He's still kind of dumb. He just okay. makes me think of like the angel going around saying what a badass he is. You know, right. Like, eh. And I mean, the art was really good. So maybe in that sense, it was uh, fun, like him crouching around and like grabbing people's stuff and bringing them to the top of buildings and things. That was neat. But it's just not an uh, exciting power, really, I guess. Well, let's move on to something more exciting. The Cobalt Man in the X-Men 31. Yeah. Um, We must destroy the Cobalt Man. And the cover basically has a blue Iron Man shooting the X-Men. Yep. And bonus, don't miss our gripping glimpses into the private lives of Marvel's much aligned mutants. Much maligned mutants. Um, so, yeah. After some... Tr- uh, well, okay, so opening page. The X-Men, the most unusual fighting team of all time. We must destroy the Cobalt Man. 
The thunder rolls, the lightning flashes, and suddenly from out of the dark, cascading clouds, there hurtles the high-flying angel, his gleaming wings, his hyper-trained muscles straining to the utmost as he plummets skillfully between two crisscrossing pillars of searing fire, shouting, No one can stop a man with wings! No, he doesn't shout that. Um, Let's hear it for Mary Marvel's own peerless periodic table. Good as gold editing, Stan Lee. Solid silver scripting by Roy Thomas. Platinum plated penciling by Werner Roth. Iridium bright inking by John Tartaglioni. Lead lined lettering by Sam Rosen. Is this how the comic ages are supposed to go? Gold age, silver age, platinum Mm -hmm. age? Uh, well, maybe that's what they thought, yeah. <laughs> Iridium age? Is that where we're at right now? Maybe, maybe. Thus, now that you are empathetically and psychologically prepared for the epochal events which follow, let's commence our awe-inspiring annal. Be careful how you pronounce that word and how you spell it. In other words, we don't know what's going to happen either until we turn the page. All right, so let's turn the page. Um, we're in the danger room. There's a pretty cool oh, wow. sequence where they're fighting in the smoke and they have to, like, you know, save each other and... Xavier's like, hey, guess what? It's the weekend, yo. Y'all go have fun, kitties. And uh, Bobby and uh, Beast are like, foursome? Foursome. Um, (laughs) Cyclops and Angel decide that they're going to go together to go meet Gene at Metro College because uh, they're going to be up front with the fact that they're rivals for her affection. They're going to make her choose. Mm-hmm. And uh, at first, Cyclops is like, I'm going to stay here. You know, I don't really need to go. And Xavier's like, um, I actually really need the house for some private experiments. So Scott, shoo, go. So Scott's like, fine. So he and Warren have that conversation. They go. Um, Hank and Bobby put on their duds. They call up uh, Vera and Zelda. Meanwhile, while our mutant boys are driving towards Metro, Jean Gray is having conversation with her friend Ted Roberts, whose brother, Ralph, shows up for the weekend. Now, Ted and Ralph have a competitive relationship. Ted has always felt overshadowed by his highly accomplished brother. And so whenever Ralph gets there, and Ralph has a few more years on him than the college Ted, um... Ted challenges to a couple of, you know, sporting matches. And Ralph's like, sure, I'm not old. And so they do a pole vault. And Ralph might not be old, but he is thicker than he used to be. And the pole snaps and he hits his head on the um, the support beams that hold up the, uh, the, the horizontal beam. And basically like, wow, you hit your head really hard. Let's get you to the hospital. He's like... No, 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 I'm, I'm, I'm fine. I'm fine. No, it's fine. And they're like, oh, okay, it's fine. So they go to the diner. Um, Scott and uh, Warren show up. It's a five-way dinner. Um, they're starting to leave. And Ted and Ralph invite Gene to go look at some of the experiments that Ralph's working on at his job. And Warren's like, um, I'm going to go. And Scott's like, I'm going to not because now Warren's leaving and I can talk to Gene and these other two boys are here and I might as well, you know, stay around. Warren has basically decided that 
a three slash four way competition for Jean Grey's affection is something he does not want to deal with. He's going to write off his love for Jean and see where um, his life can take him. So he leaves to go find his fortune. We change scene to the double date. They are once again at the coffee, a go-go and Bernard is once again, reciting really weird poetry. He comes over and starts sweet talking Zelda. And so Bobby puts the ice on his coffee and he leaves um, meanwhile, Warren has gone to some other dance hall place that is less beat poetry and more dancing and music. And he runs into old friend Candy Southern. Candy Southern and Warren Worthington are immediately attracted. They're both available and they hit it off like nobody's business. They start having a great time together and Warren's like, I, I, I said goodbye to Jean in my heart and look, Candy's here now. It's fantastic. Um, so to make a long story tolerable, Ralph Roberts is like, hey, Ted, hey, Ted, come here. I'll show you this thing. We, uh, you know how I used to work for Stark Enterprises, right? Well, that, that all fell through. So I've been using some of the Stark technology I learned about, though. And we've been using the, get to make this, this, this suit of armor powered by the radioactive energy of cobalt. And Ted's like, oh, okay. He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to show it to you. Big thing is about cobalt suit, though, is that if you have the power source running for two hours, uh, constant, it can achieve critical mass and turn nuclear. And that'd be bad. But we're not going to do that. I just want to show you the costume. And Ted's like, are you sure this is safe? Cause you hit your head pretty hard. And I was like, no, 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 no. I'm fine. So he puts on the costume and immediately he's not fine. He wants to kill Iron Man and get his revenge and maybe even take over the world. I don't know. He swats his brother. Um, Scott and Jean hear the kerfuffle. They change clothes and they come and fight Cobalt Man. Um, who's basically Ralph, just wrecking everything. Um, so Wreck-It Ralph is on a <laughs> Wreck-It rampage. Wreck-It Ralph. Yep, yep. Yeah. Wreck-It uh-huh. Ralph breaks the X-Men. <laughs> um, <laughs> and there's a fight. We cut away from the fight very briefly because Xavier is working next to the very secret door. Very, very secret door. Um, and then Bobby... Oh, Scott sends uh, a call for help on a wristwatch device that tunes into Xavier's telepathic frequency because they can't communicate with Xavier unless Xavier opens himself up to them. But the way they have basically a way of buzzing his brain from a distance (laughs) and Xavier hears the brain buzz and is like, okay, so he's calling for danger, but he doesn't use a special code phrase to mean urgent danger. So I'm not going to go anything. I'm just going to tell the other X-Men to go help him. Hey, Hey, Bobby, uh, Hank, go help your buddy. And Bobby and Hank are like, but we're dancing with our girls. And Xavier's like, go. So they say goodbye to the girls. And uh, Vera and Zelda are long-suffering as usual. Warren has to say goodbye to Candy, promises to see her again soon. And she's like, well, that's the best you can do. I'll take it. And um, all of the X-Men fly toward... um, They fly toward the Stark factory that was recently rebuilt and in the suspense issue, I think we actually got to the reopening, but at this point, it's not quite reopened yet. Like tomorrow is the reopening day. Um, so Cobalt Man's going to break into it, but all the X-Men make their way there to stop him. And Iron Man's on a date, so he can't help. Um, and there's a fight, and basically they beat the Cobalt Man, and they throw him in the ocean, and they, they take his helmet off, and Ralph finally calms himself down. 
And he's like, oh, I'm so sorry. I, I hit my head. I, I guess I was going crazy. And um, yeah. So the last note of the story, Jean Grey dressed as Marvel Girl. Um, Ted Roberts is like, I wonder where Scott and Jean are. Something tells me they weren't bored during all this. And Jean's like, and Jean and Scott are both like, does he know who we are? And uh, yeah, it ends with um, a paraphrase of the Lewis Carroll uh, poem for next issue. Beware the juggernaut, my son. Man, so I said that Doctor Strange was probably not going to be my least favorite this month. So it'd be the X-Men, but the X-Men wasn't that bad either. Right. So darn it. Now what? Now, what, now what are we going to do? I don't know. <laughs> I actually I actually put some thought of this ahead of time. I, I when we get there in, in 10 minutes, I know what my um what I'm what I'm trying to decide from between my bottoms, but it's not this. Oh good. Yeah. Um one of the things that I really liked about this issue is that it did what it said on the cover. It brought in more personal lifetime from the X-Men. It gave them a chance to be mm-hmm. people outside of their costumes, mm-hmm. which we've been seeing more of in the last few issues. But this just really did that nicely. Mm-hmm. I would like to learn a little more about these girlfriends that are basically just jokes at this point. Oh, Vera and Zelda. Yeah. It's like, are we going to learn more or are they just going to be, is this just going to be the joke forever? Or I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Vera continues into the Beast solo series and Amazing Adventures. She uh. shows up again in that. But once Zelda has her last appearance in this 05 X-Men run, I think she's off the off the books. So okay. I, don't know, I don't remember what exactly happens with her, but she only has a few more appearances. Not the lowest lanes of Iceman and Beast, I guess. Anyway. Mm, no, no. In fact... For Iceman, that'd be uh, probably Luther Lane. And for Hank, he'd have to go to the zoo. (laughs) Sorry. Tawny the tiger. Right, right. So there's this bit where like Xavier's like, hey, Cyclops, these books that Gene gave us, they need to be returned. So why don't you go do that? Right. That's why he gets by the house. And and I'm like, oh, he's because he thinks to himself like he knows that Scott likes Gene. And so he's trying to create a moment, right? I'm like, oh, cool, that's great. He's finally being like kind of a neat dad and stuff, and then cut to him experimenting on rats with a weird BDSM monster behind his closet later. It's like, oh, <laughs> uh, no, that's more on point. Never mind. <laughs> it could be both. It could be both. <laughs> yeah, but he ruined, He undercut himself because I was like kind of impressed that he thought of that idea, but then I was like, oh, no, actually it was for self-serving interests, you know. Well, remember a few issues ago whenever he made Gene bring him the books? Yeah. And at that time, she was wondering, am I just an errand girl for the X-Men? It was kind of a weird question on her part, because like uh-huh. him calling her to physically bring books to the X-Men seems like the opposite of kicking her off the team. Uh, but that's right. what she was worried about at the time. But if that was to set up a reason for Scott to go, like having Gene bring the books is an excuse to get them together. Having Scott mm-hmm. return the books is an excuse to get them together. I'm like, okay, Charlie knows what he's doing here. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um. I think, though, Scott and Warren, and Warren's the one who voices this, so I'm going to put it on him. The whole force Gene to choose, mm-hmm. it's a bit presumptuous, but it's True. also not entirely a bad idea to kind of like have a conversation with her and, you know, say, hey, you know, we both like you. Who would you like to go out with? You know, do you have a preference? I don't know how that conversation would go, but mm-hmm. it seems like there's one needing to happen. Well, it's either going to be both one or none, right? Right. 
Uh, I like Scott's little bubble here where he, he thinks Angel's a great guy, too. It's just too bad that we're, like, undeclared rivals. Uh-huh. So, And I'm kind of glad that I, that seems to have been solved with this issue. Did you catch Hank's reference to his whole vocabulary thing being an act? No. Page four at the bottom. Um, I'm a mutant. I'm an X-Man out there. I'm nothing but a misshapen freak or worse. So I take refuge behind a vocabulary. Mm. And I would give half my life if I could have been born a mere homo sapiens. Ooh, he's the first one to say that. Oh, no, he's not. Cyclops has been has been uh, complaining a lot, too. I think Cyclops is more the nature of his mutation than mm-hmm. the fact that he doesn't want to be a mutant. And Beast is the only one we've had so far that's been personally, like, assaulted mm-hmm. by humans because he was a mutant. He quit the team, in fact, because he was so traumatized by that. I can definitely see this young Hank turning into the cynical, almost sinister older Hank. Mm-hmm. And also, this personality trait right here ties nicely into his his uh, his tendency to experiment on himself. Oh, yeah. Because, you know, trying to fix himself or Trying to himself. fix himself. We can see those germs starting right here. Mm-hmm. Um, I wrote down on for page six, three rivals for Jean and one diner. Peter Parker, eat your heart out. Right. Yeah, she's doing much better. And I, I really am kind of proud of Scott here because this is like the first proactive social move he's made in what, the entire series so far? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, he didn't just bow out. Normally he would just say, let, let Angel deliver the books, I guess. I'll go to a psychiatrist. Mm-hmm. And talk about my cursed, cursed eyes. And he's like, nope, I'm going. And when they asked me to go look at Bunsen burners, I'm still going because that's where she's going. Uh, first appearance of Candy Southern. Yep. She is a um, person in Warren's life for a lot of years. Okay. All the way into the 90s. I mean, like a lot of supporting characters, her presence in the books comes and goes. Mm-hmm. But she is Warren's flame for a long time. She seems cool. I mean, they obviously have known each other before. Yeah. So- so it's kind of like a shortcut introduction because they already were introduced. But it was fun. I liked it. And it gets the triangle out of the way, which wasn't going anywhere anyway. Mm-hmm. I like that. Uh, you know how I made fun of like uh, when we some, when I summarized Iron Man, I made fun of the fact that they just dropped the Senator Bird uh, subplot. But then it's kind of in a way carried over here because Cobalt Man is Cobalt Man because he actually is upset that Iron Man won't reveal – his technology and himself to the government. So he's taken it upon himself to create his own Iron Man suit with his, uh, his objective being to then hand it over to the government. And what like is your Walt. feeling on that? Did you say you like that or didn't like that? I do like it. I think it's cool that like that storyline does carry over somewhere. It's not an Iron Man, but it's carrying over in here mm-hmm. in a way, in a way there's rippling effects of it. Anyway, the, um, the, the influence of one series' stories on another series is one of those things that I think makes the Marvel Universe kind of special, mm-hmm. you know? And it can be mm-hmm. little things that don't require that you know what's going on in the other book, you know? Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever, I think there's, it's pretty popular, I think, whenever the Casket of Ancient Winters opens up in Thor and other comics that month suddenly have snow. You know, right? Um, yeah. That kind of thing. It's just like if you want to know why this is happening, it's over in Thor. Here, this uh-huh. is just this guy is following up on subplots and spinning out of subplots that are not crucial to follow this story. But if you've been reading Iron Man, you get it's it's a larger picture. Like, and the subplot is so long lasting and inconsequential that they don't even reference it in a caption. Mm-hmm. 
they just like they don't tell us what to read to understand what he's talking about. They just let him explain why he doesn't like Iron Man and why he created Cobalt armor. Yeah, because it would be, it would take a lot of explaining. It'd be like, yeah, read retails the suspense like five through twenty eight or something. You know, oh my gosh, can't do that. Um, Cobalt Man though does seem to be basically a knockoff of Iron Man, who also, by the way, can turn into an atomic bomb if he's not careful. But see, I like that too because if the guy worked at Stark Industries and then it's like, okay, I'm going to go do my own offshoot of that, then it makes kind of sense that it looks very Stark-like in design, mm-hmm. you know? Just his own version of that. Isn't it, isn't it this kind of thing that leads us to like armor wars and stuff? People co-opting Stark's technology and then stealing it outright also? I believe so, yeah. And not just bad guys, but like the government was using it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he's he's just decided, you know what, I'm taking it all back. And he went rogue. Now, I'm not a doctor. And I don't play one on TV. <laughs> but seems to me that if a person hits their head hard enough to mm-hmm. affect their judgment and maybe their personality, then you got to do one of two things. You got to get them to the ER ASAP, or you just got to club them on the head again real hard in the same spot to fix them. One That's the what other. works with Thor. Yeah, right? I don't know which one would be best for, for Ralph here, but something needs to happen. It's It seemed like they were suggesting it was a case of both the thumping on the head and the cobalt armor somehow affecting him. Because once he gets that helmet off, he's fine. Right. Yeah, I think so, so too. I don't, know, I, don't know. I don't know what cobalt and a bump on the head have to do with one another, but it's a bad combination. Yeah. And also, we talked back whenever they were using cobalt in an Avengers plot. Cobalt is not naturally radioactive. Mm. We make cobalt isotopes and use them, but if I rem- I didn't re- I didn't re-research it for this, but my memory is that cobalt in nature does not actually have radioactive isotopes. Is it blue? No. It's oh, bummer. it's a silver metallic sheen like most metals. Mm. Which used to kind of bother me that this was blue, but then Iron Man is red and gold. And Yeah, I mean you can be whatever color you want. Right. Titanium Man was was red. Green, green. was green. Green. Yeah. So it doesn't really matter too much. No. You wouldn't want Iron Man to look like iron because he started out that way and it was boring. Right. He quickly realized he has to be a knighted shining armor. Put a little hot rod red on it. Okay, Scott has his cursed, cursed sexism in this issue. Um, he treats Jean like a lesser hero more than once, and she gets kind of mad at him for it, which ap- Does appropriately she? so. I thought she went right along with it and was thinking about what a great hero he is, and I'm just sitting here panicking about Ted. A little bit later she does, yeah, yeah, but it's like, oh. it's both. She both is like telling him to stop, you know, soft-gloving her, and also, I love him so much, he's so bold. So it's kind of weird, I guess. I don't know. Is, There's is that page, complexity? Yeah, I guess. I Well, I mean, again, the problem is these are all written by males, so there's that right, spin. Right, But it's certainly plausible that she hasn't been practicing like they've been practicing. So she might she's be been out at, of she's it been a little at sc- bit. At school, yeah. And she does care for Ted, and he's possibly buried alive or dead, and they don't know what's wrong, what's going on. This cobalt guy just came out of nowhere for them. Uh, so, yeah. And Scott had a cool head, and he's a leader. And that was kind of neat. But yeah, they kind of frame it more in a sexist way, which sort of sucks. There is one neat moment, or rather a reference to a neat moment between them. Um, On Mm -hmm. page 11, whenever they hear the kerfuffle, they start running toward He's like, this would happen just when I'm finally alone with Jean. Mm -hmm. I would have liked to have seen that moment. Yeah, and she's like, he was just about to ask me out. Right. So that would have been a a great moment. Yeah, I want to see him stumbling over his toes trying to ask this girl out. Mm-hmm. And kind of botching it because he's Scott Summers. 
And they're both saying, darn it. So they both love each other or at least want to hook up. And it's like, all right, so let's move this along then, I mm-hmm. guess. But we'll see how long they drag it out. Um, not that it matters, but page 14 uh, strongly implies that Bobby and Hank are seeing Vera and Zelda more than what we're seeing. Because they reference oh. stuff that happened on their last date that was not on what we saw last time. Okay. Uh, so it's kind of neat to know that there's more going on between them than what we're just seeing. Kind of helps give us reason for Vera and Zelda to, to care. <laughs> you know, they actually do well, have some real dates every now and then. Yeah, that does make more sense why they would keep putting up with this. Um, I would love to see Iron Man and Cobalt Man fight, but I don't think that's ever happened. I did look up Apparently. Cobalt Man's appearances. I don't know that he ever fought Iron Man. He's He, he does come back after this. He fights the Hulk a lot. Does he? Okay. I don't know why. Oh, because of the Defenders or something. Right. Yeah, that makes sense because he, he's a he's an Iceman beast villain. Or is Iceman angel? Iceman angel villain. And um, oh, they're on yeah. the Defenders. Well, I read really briefly his Wikipedia and it seemed like every paragraph ended with him supposedly dying. So <laughs> he's one of those guys. Just dies and dies and dies and dies. But then he comes back somehow. He's going to learn how to be Black Widow. You die yeah. once, and then it's always been red from then on. Oh. Dun, dun. And you got to love the secret identity hijinks at the end of I this. I do. I do. I think that I really hope that actually Does goes something. that direction, and it's not just a tease that goes nowhere. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. All right. Um, and it turns out the Juggernaut is the weird BDSM monster behind the closet, probably. But we'll see. I really don't know, so I guess we can't talk about it. I'm just guessing. So Throwing it out there. After this issue, mm-hmm. my memory of this book starts getting a bit fuzzy. I, mm. I knew that Gene was that, that Gene going to college led us to the mimic and to Cobalt Man, and I can remember some of what happens going forth. But this is the last issue that I have recently reread. Um, in fact, as we're going into the March books, we're going into books I've never read before or books that oh, I haven't great. read in a long time. Um, oh. So in fact, this, the, our next comic, Sergeant Fury Forty Two, I had not read before today. Um, so I don't always remember what exactly is going to happen with these characters. I do remember some of it though. Um, but that's the end of February. Oh, you know what? I just realized in my effort to, uh, just go off memory on Spider-Man. I didn't say it was written by Stan Lee and drawn by John Romita and lettered by Sam Rosen, but now I did. So there we go. Oh, well, I wasn't sure. So I'm glad that you kind of cleared that up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. End of the month. End Shoot, of the, one- the month. The one time I don't have that page open. So this is February, right? February February, 1967. Exactly. So we've got Sergeant Fury 41, where they're fighting Colonel Klawa and the Blitzkrieg squad in the best Blitzkrieg squad story we've had so far. Right. And that's whenever they're doing the the movie with Dino Minnelli, right? Yes. He he loses his woman. Right. Nina dies because she's a spy. Because she's a traitor. For 139 to die like a god, they finish the Oracle fight. And um, they're looking for the genie at the end. I think they finally find him in um, Xanadu. Uh Tales of Suspense 89, Iron Man versus the new mysterious Melter. And Mm. um, what was Cap doing? Cap was Red Skull. Cap was Red Skull Skull round two of the Bucky thing. That's right. The Bucky robot. The Winter Soldier, not really, though. Yeah. Strange Tales 156 with Zom. Okay, pause. (laughs) So, okay, quick note about how I title these episodes. Uh Uh-huh. One of three things happens whenever I choose a title for an episode. 
I choose it just as I'm about to upload it. And I look at what we talked about and see if I remember any of our conversation bits. And I try to choose something clever. Or two, I choose the title once I've read the issues, but before we record them. And then that has an A and a B. A, Mm -hmm. the title's based on something I plan to say in Mm -hmm. the issue. Or B, the title is based on something that I forget to say in the the episode. So do you remember Leet Speak? No. Like the really hip, cool way of talking in chats and stuff where like letters as – uh, numbers as letters and um wow no so one of the things was like turning some of the common acronyms and just like doing st- stupid stuff with them like rofl for rolling on the floor laughing like okay someone animated yeah. that as a helicopter and so raffle copter became like a thing people would say so uh-huh. omg z-o-m-g became this like you know superlative omg so I named the episode Z-O-M-G, Super, uh, Supreme Hydra's Revealed Identity. And it was a reference uh-huh. to Zom in the story. Uh-huh. But I forgot to make the joke about Zom in the story <laughs> being Zomg. And so there's an episode out there with that name. And Whoops. I wonder how many people actually realized what I was doing there. Uh, not yeah. that it matters. Especially if you didn't say it. Right. But in Strange Tales 156, we had the big, gigantic reveal of Supreme Hydra as Baron Strucker. We also had a crossover with every other character in the Marvel Universe, Um, followed by Umar coming to Earth and Doctor Strange going to the land of Zom to uh, find a force to, to find a monster to beat the monster. And then at the end, the monster was bad. Tales to Astonish 91, Hulk versus the Abomination, and uh, Namor versus Bira, Atuma, and Krang. Fantastic 462, uh, Reed Richards getting saved by the Inhumans from the Negative Zone, and Blastar comes through as well. The Avengers 39, Hercules versus the Mad Thinker and his Triumvirate of Terror, Daredevil 27 with the end of the Masked Marauder as Mike Murdock must die. Oh yeah, Stiltman 2. Avengers 48, the Vulture is back with a cool helmet. And the X-Men 31, it's Cobalt time, baby. Spider-Man 48. What did I say? Avengers 48. That's what I meant. Amazing Spider-Man 48. Yeah. So um, This is going to be hard. Right. Because they're all kind of-ish. Good-ish. Yeah, they're all pretty good. Um. Yeah. And the ones that I'm choosing as my least, there was nothing yeah. this month that I said, oh, that was, I did not enjoy that. Right. Which is where I want to be with these books, you know? I want to be in a place where I liked all of them to a greater or lesser degree. I just didn't like these as much. But there's also nothing that I read this month that was like, whoa, this is the one, you know? Mm-hmm. So they're all, they're all, that means they're all kind of rated about the same in my brain right now, which is not great for picking out. Best and worst, really. So I have two contenders for each, and I have not decided yet which I'm going to choose. Okay. So my contenders for best are Shield and Daredevil. Okay. I found Daredevil to be a riot as I was reading it. It was just fun. And Uh Strange Tales, I love a good coming together of continuity and revelations and stuff like that. So both of yeah. those push very different buttons, but I enjoyed them both a lot. Um, 
And I think I'm going to give it to Nick Fury because he hasn't yeah. gotten enough in a while. That was a pretty epic splash, double splash page. Oh my revealed. God. I love that page. Mm-hmm. Um, and then for my worst or least enjoyed, I'm tied between the two astonishes, Namor and Hulk. That's exactly what I was thinking too. And I was thinking it's going to be Namor. I was thinking it was going to be Namor. They really deflated like all three of his main villains in one single shot. Mm-hmm. And then that ending also confused me as to what was even happening visually. So, And they undermined the the one thing that was kind of neat about Mr. Politician is he's not even a politician. He's just got a re- gun ray thing that nobody talked about that you can just hit the reverse button on. And if you so. lead with that, it plays different. Like the rabble rouser back yeah. in Strange Tales. Remember that guy? Mm-hmm. We knew he was coercing the crowds. Yeah. But this was... Or the voice. Yeah. Oh, the voice. Yeah. Man, yeah. Yeah. That was scary, but it was cool. But yeah, this is just, it just seemed like it under it, that, that whole issue just should have been called undermining <laughs> Submariner or something. Cause everything about it is just like deflating what was going on before. What's your top? I don't know. Did you like your boy? It was okay. It was pretty straight. Like he just beat up a robot and it's over already. Um, I think either Avengers or Fantastic Four. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna go Avengers just because Hercules is so fun. When you said Her- when and you I'm- said Avengers versus Fantastic Four, it's like of those two, I would pick Avengers. I think Fantastic Four. I really liked how the idea of this this negative zone villain escaping mm-hmm. unbeknownst to them while they're not looking. That's really cool. But I think Avengers just seeing Hercules go around on Earth in a suit and like then come back in and just like hand those stupid villains. Yeah, what they deserved. Yeah, that was fun. And everyone got um, some some screen time. You know, they all mm-hmm. had things to do in the story. Mm-hmm. And, and and yeah, it is not at all to slam on the Fantastic Four this month. But I just really enjoyed the Avengers this month as well. I think my the knock for Fantastic Four is that the Fantastic Four themselves didn't do a whole lot in that issue. That's a valid point. Valid yeah. point. It was really the Inhumans issue. All right. Well, that's two months down of the new year, one sixth of the what, way through. What did you pick for your favorite? Um, I chose uh, Nick Fury, Agent of Shield. Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. Oh wait, I can't do. Hold on, I, I miscoded it. I put Fury, like Sergeant Fury, not not Shield. that Fury, not that Fury. Okay, I fixed it. All right, but speaking of that Fury, speaking of, let's do Sergeant Fury and Italian Commandos number forty-two. Three were a wall. Three. Um, okay. Bombshell bonus. See bombastic bull McGivney, ramrod the hard hitting howlers, and learn why battle mags will never be the same again. Okay. <laughs> uh, three were AWOL. Ten hut. Fall in soldier and get set for bomb bursting, blockbusting thrills. Howler style as everybody's favorite fighting fanatics go all out for victory. And would you believe a poker game? But. Don't any of you furry aficionados go away. Furry aficionados. That sounded wrong. Fury aficionados go away. Because <laughs> we'll get you, get to your kind of action before you can say wahoo. Edited by Stanley, written by Gary Friedrich. Plotted and penciled by Dick Ayers. Inked by John Tortaglioni. Lettered by Sam Rosen. Poker chips by Forbush Casino Supplies Unlimited. So all the Howlers except Nick are playing poker and Reb is winning because that is what his character is. He wins at poker. And at some point he says, he says something cavalier like, I could just buy Europe back with these winnings. 
And Eric, who at the table was not paying attention and thinking about his sister, who's still behind enemy lines under German occupation, wigs out and says, how dare you make light of this war? We've, there's actually people with families that are you know, losing their families or my sister, blah, blah, blah. And they get in a fist fight, basically. And then Nick comes in and he breaks it up and he sends them all to uh, Happy Sam Sawyer because Sam's got a mission. But before that happens, he notices that um, uh, uh, Dean Martin, Dino Minnelli, is missing. And they all fess up and say, oh, I think he went AWOL and went to London. He's really remorse about that spy trader girlfriend of his that, you know, killed herself for him, sacrificed herself for him. So Nick's like, okay, well, you all report to Sam and stall him as long as you can, and I'll try and get Manelli back before anybody notices. So that, of course, does not work because Sam's not going to be stalled. So immediately he assigns to replace Nick McGivney. So McGivney is now leading the Howlers on this mission, and they all go off to do that. Meanwhile, Nick finds uh, Manelli nursing some drinks in London. He tells Manelli, I understand. I lost somebody too. But listen, don't you want to be a man? Because men don't cry about stuff. They just fight in wars. And Manelli's like, yes, I would like to be a man. Thank you for teaching me how to be a man again. Let's go. So then they go back to the place. And instead of reporting, they hijack a plane and go after the Howlers so they can all meet up. Meanwhile, we're at the... uh, I don't even know what the mission is. The mission is to attack a munitions something or other to the point where it's lit up enough for B-17 bombers to see it and come in and blow it up. So that's the mission. Okay, because I really uh, forgot. When you said that, I was like, I don't think I know either. <laughs> I think that's the mission. But part of the mission is like while they're all sitting there reading the maps, Eric realizes that they're only like 15 miles from Berlin, which is where his sister is. So he disappears just in time for some Germans to get in fight with the Howlers. Um, Nick and Dino parachute in just in time to help. Nick uh, gets in a little bit of a skirmish with McGivney, but then he says, you know what? You are in charge, so you lead the way. We'll we'll all obey you because, you know, that's how rank works or that's how assignments work. But what Nick really is doing is he holds back and he holds Dino back and he's like, I noticed Eric was gone. He probably went to Berlin, so let's go get him. And that's where the three A wall thing comes from. Duh. Okay. So Nick and Manelli make their way to Berlin. They steal a motorcycle. They dress up like Germans. Dino does speak German, if we all remember. Before we got Eric, he was our resident German guy. Meanwhile, Eric makes it to his home. He sees that the SS are guarding it, just like they threatened when they sent him that letter that one time that, that started all this stress for him. He pretends to be a guard who's going to take her away to prison so they let him in she packs um but then they realized who he really is because he didn't knock he didn't kill the person he stole the clothes from he just knocked him out and that person woke up so then they all charge in but just in time nick fury and dino show up and they kill all those dudes and so now it's the sister and eric and dino and nick trying to make their way back to the howlers so there's some car chasing and explosions and cool stuff like that meanwhile the howlers and mcgivney are kind of fighting over what the plan is and it doesn't really matter because the plan was to go highlight the factory with uh, uh uh some explosions and nick and dino and eric and eric's sister beat them to it they blow it up so then the howlers are just kind of like oh that was cool. Well, let's all get out of here. So they all join together, and they run out just in time for the B-17 bombers to come in and whoop, whoop, whoop everything. Um, McGivney continues to threaten 
Nick and says, I know that you left. I know that Minnelli left. I know that Eric left, and I'm going to have you court-martialed, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but when they make it back, Sam says, won't even really let McGivney get a word in edgewise, and he uh, uh, says that they all screwed up because that little trip to Berlin apparently made it on the radio, their little attacks on on Berlin. So he, he confines everybody to quarters, including McGivney, uh, and then he welcomes uh, 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 Eric's sister, and she says, I hope I can help you guys at some point to repay you. And uh, that's the end. Next, the Scourge of the Sahara. Yeah. Yeah. So I was convinced that Eric was going to die in this issue for some reason. Right? Because <laughs> <laughs> we know he's not a howler for by the time they hit Korea. Right, he's not. We don't really know why yet. Um, yeah. So I was kind of thinking, oh, well, Dino's back. Do they need Eric anymore? And now there's this whole, they're following up on this sister thing. Is he going to do something foolish and go try and rescue her and end up getting shot to save, him, save her or something like that? Well, you do have the two plots of Koenig being angsty for needing his sister back and Dino being angsty for losing his love. And those two mm-hmm. seem to dovetail, just not quite like that. Mm-hmm. Um, no, it all worked out. Now, I can't remember Eric's sister's name off the top of my head. I need to go find it. but I could not either. That's why I kept saying Eric's sister, but I don't know what her name is either. Her attraction to Dino is reiterated in her first scene in this issue. She's like, yes, that because... You know, Dino right. left in the mission that basically saved her. Yeah. Yeah, he got injured. He got injured, saving right? her. So, um, Yeah, there is that. There is a really nice splash page right towards the end where it's, uh, for once, it's not action. It's like downtime splash page, mm-hmm. which is kind of interesting. That's a good name. And, and, and one of the beats is that while Dino is thinking about how much he misses Nina, uh, Eric's sister is thinking, gosh, how hot is Dino? Right. So that might go somewhere or might not. Looking at that page, I'm reminded that Gabe Jones makes two, count them, two random comments about his bugle, uh-huh. which always seem to rub me the wrong way because I feel like it's like belittling his character to just have him focus on his bugle. But at the same time, Reb is poker, Ross, uh, um, Pinkerton is his bumper shoot, uh, Cohen is what is Mama Cohen going to think about me now? So they all have Dumb, their muscles. Yeah, they all have their references and their shorthands. Mm-hmm. It just, for whatever reason, rubs me wrong with Gabe. Um, hmm. It is, however, worth pointing out that this is a new writer in this issue. Oh wow! Roy Thomas is off the book pretty much oh. for good. Maybe he does fill ins later, but Gary Friedrich is our new regular writer, and he will take us to the end of the decade. Well, it was a lot easier to read, but I didn't even notice that. So I just assumed it was a more Friendly flowing story for once. And Gary Friedrich is one of those names that you see a lot in Bronze Age comics. I think Mike Friedrich is maybe a bit better known. I don't know if they're brothers or if they just happen to have the same last name. I do not know either, but you're right. Yeah, Mike Friedrich. I've heard of that before. But he's going to do a lot of Sergeant Fury. And whenever Starenko stops writing S.H.I.E.L.D., Friedrich is the one who takes over. So he'll actually be doing Nick Fury in two eras for a while. Ooh, wow. Consistency. Yeah. Um, he does most of the issues of Captain Savage. So he's kind mm. of our World War II guy for a lot of the time that's, you know, immediately in front of us. Captain Savage is DC? Captain Savage is Marvel, which I haven't gotten to it yet. Oh, okay. Um, it's it's the other World oh, War II Oh, Sergeant II Rock is DC. Sergeant Rock is DC. Okay. Yeah, Captain Savage is the other World War II book that um, we've met him. We just haven't heard him called Captain Savage, but the Skipper. Oh gosh, yeah. Um, and 
looking, I've never read it, but looking through it, it looks like it uses a lot more like links to the Marvel universe, the world war two aspects awesome. of the Marvel universe. Cool. And it does cross over with Nick Fury once or twice. It's like, we have to fight the stilt man's grandfather. Right. <laughs> um, what else do I have on this one? What else do you have on this one? Um, I didn't like the business. They said this multiple times. Like I remembered how to be a man again. Mm. Like, like Dino says that multiple times. And I think Nick even says you have to be a man or whatever. It's like, it's okay to be upset that you lost someone you were going to marry. Right. I think. And that, that scene, I think it's okay to not feel like fighting today. That scene on page five, I think needed some more space. Cause I think addressing the mm-hmm. fact that yes, you're upset, but yes, we also have a job to do. And giving them a chance to talk more through that, because it does feel like um, Manelli just like turns around. It's like, okay, fine, I'm done. Let's go. I almost didn't even need Nick or Manelli to join in with the rest of the Howlers, you know? And by almost, I mean I didn't. Like, that seemed way too fast. Mm-hmm. And just, I would have rather than the entire issue, they just be in this bar talking about the women they've lost and how to deal with it. That would have been good. You're right. And then they just slip in while no one's looking to act like they were on the mission the entire time. Do you think McGivney would have succeeded on the mission? I think McGivney is completely competent, yeah. I think they've already shown that he's just as good as the Howler. His own people are just as good as the Howlers. Right. They, they get the job done, too. If I remember correctly, he pretty much leads the mission. And even though the Howlers don't necessarily like all of his style, he doesn't make any bad decisions. No, he. They were like making. They're making fun of him, but that's kind of just the rivalry, I think. Right, and he didn't. He like, didn't put all like, his cards on the table with them. He didn't tell them everything they were going to be doing ahead of time, which they didn't like. His fury no. was a better communicator. Uh, pff, yeah, right. How many times have we started a thing where like they're at their location, and now Fury's telling them what they're there for? <laughs> he does the same thing. It's just that it was McGivney, so they didn't like it. Um, I did look up to see when we're going to stop seeing McGivney. Okay. Because I was just curious about how far he goes through this book. Um, mm-hmm. I also look to see where the Howlers go. Like, because the Howlers, most of them are not in modern Marvel. So I have a little bit of idea of sort of the shape of their history now. Um, of course, our ones that do make it to present are Jones, Dugan, and one other that we haven't seen yet. I don't know if I should say, because... Just one, huh? I thought, I seem to remember reading something where... There was a lot of them, but maybe I'm mistaken. Well, the, I don't know. they do show up in like one Captain America story. Yeah, that's the one I was thinking. Yeah, of. but as far as like being regular people in the in the modern Marvel. Oh no, no, yeah, no. But they've all made it to the. I was going to say the modern universe, but this is also the modern universe. Yeah, they're also alive in present day. Mm-hmm. But McGivney never like becomes a head of sword or something. Not that we've seen. Nope. That would be so genius. <laughs> can you can then, you imagine? Can you imagine a Sergeant Fury like? Of course, it wouldn't happen right now because Sergeant because Nick Fury's top cop, right? Nick Fury, yeah. Nick Fury only answers to the president because he chooses to, right? That's how that's how high right. up he is. But can mm-hmm. you imagine in a situation where he's not quite that big of a deal, walking into a mission and the yeah. person he has to answer to? Walks through the door, he's lost weight, he's cleaned yeah. up, he's in charge, and it's bull frickin' McGivney. That would be fantastic. I'm amazed that they didn't come up with that idea. <laughs> Make it happen, Marvel. Yeah. Um, but that's uh, all I have for this one. All right. Well, shall we move on to the mighty Thor? I think it's time for Thor. Is this- He's a growing man. 
This one's me now, right? It is you. He is a growing man. That's what she said. Oh, no. Why did I do that? Rated our podcast. I, uh, Let's go. I I called Keenan and said, Keenan, look. And I just pointed to the phrase, the growing man. He's fighting you. <laughs> Keenan did not appreciate it anywhere. Huh. Um, oh, that's a new corner box for Thor. Yes. Yes. He's just standing so politely. Uh, looking up 139 corner box. And he had it then, too. So it, it's happened recently, but I don't know when. Um, Amazing Spider-Man 48 also had a new box for Spider-Man. So it might have been the okay. February issues put in new boxes. The- Thor number 139 is the first time that's used. Okay, so February, they both got new boxes. I wonder if everybody else got new boxes, too. I'll have to go through and look at some stuff there. Uh, X-Men do not. Okay. I don't think. Well, I don't know. Um. All right. So Thor, you know, he's an Asgard. And they've won the Troll Wars. <laughs> Uh-huh. And I guess that's actually the opening page ritual that we do. The growing man in which one of Earth's deadliest enemies returns with the most uncanny threat of all. I will have to say, I was surprised to see the person who shows up late in these pages. Me too. Let it be known. The great troll war has been won by the forces of Asgard. Now, midst the most celestial pomp and pageantry, the regal Odin victoriously ascends to the golden throne. Conceived and created by the noblest collaborative combo in comicdom, Stan, the man, Lee, and Jack King Kirby. Inking by Vince Coletta, lettering by Sam Rosen. The stage is set. The curtain is risen. The cast assembled. Let the wonderment begin. So Odin's like, we won! And everyone's like, yeah! He's like, I'm Odin! Yeah! This is Thor! Yeah! Hail Asgard! Hail Asgard! Now I'm going to go take a bath. And they're like, finally. (laughs) Man, did you tell him to? I didn't tell him to. So Odin's decided to go take a bath. And, you know, his son follows him, as one does when you're taking a bath. And Thor's like, yo, Dad, um, I love Earth. Earth's pretty awesome. And I've been gone for, oh, such a very long time now. Um, I think I should go back and just see how they're doing. And, um, you know, that'll be cool. So I was like, okay. Odin does not say anything about, because you love that mortal Jane Foster, because the mortal Jane Foster is no longer part of the story. And he did mm-hmm. send Thor to Earth at the beginning, so he's cool with this. Change scene to Earth, and random scientists have uncovered a random growing sponge. You know those little sponges? You put them in the bathtub, and they like soak up the water, and they turn from little bitty teeny tiny things into larger things. It's that, mm-hmm. only now it's man-sized. And then, like, you know, two scenes later, it's, like, busting out of houses. So it's, like, soaking up all the water in the bathtub and becoming this very large thing. They're completely mystified. Also completely mystified when it wakes up and starts punching them to get itself free. It breaks out of the building, continues to grow, picks up houses, throws them around, and go back to Asgard. And Thor's like, okay, so Sif, um, I'm going to go to Earth. I have this whole mortal Don Blake life that I have over there, so I'm going to go do that for a while. And Sif's like, all right, cool, let's go. And he's like, in his head, I need to I need to figure out my feelings for Jane Foster and Sif and sort all that out. He's like, no, 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 no. Um, a woman's place is at the home. This warrior is going to go off and do things. And she's like, what? He's like, yeah. Mm. And Odin's like, 
Thor. You're so dumb. So um, Thor goes back to Earth. He flies into the window of Don Blake. The, puts on, he changes to mortal form, puts on his doctor clothes. The jander comes in and is like, hey. And Don's like, yeah, I've only been gone a few days. And my um, other doctors were filling in my absence. So we chill. And Jander's like, yeah, I just didn't see you come in. It's only been a few days since you left. Mm-hmm. So, um, meanwhile, the growing man continues to wreak havoc. He's like in the forest now, tearing down trees. Uh, the people are the, the the army are coming after him, and then the growing man gets zapped by a gun and frozen and turned back into pocket sized, friend sized. And who did the zapping? Kang the freaking conqueror walks what? out of the shadows, picks up the growing man's like, yeah, uh, this is going to help me take over the world. I'm here to conquer the 20th century, and this dude will just grow and shrink at my command. I'm totally going to kill it here. And the cops are like, stop, Krang, or Kang, or whoever you are. And uh, we don't find out what happens. I guess all those cops die because we leave. And Don Blake has been summoned because he knows how to get hold of Thor. And Thor is going to deal with the growing man. So Don Blake gets to the scene, turns into Thor. And growing man is once again terrorizing stuff. It's like that last scene didn't even happen. Um, Thor starts fighting growing man, punches him a whole lot, throws his hammer at his face. Kang the Conqueror shows up. And uses his cobalt energy and radioactivity to um, subsume Thor, knock him down. Um, he's like, yes, I'm going to use this growing man to help me knock over the world and terrorize everybody. But first, I'm going to shoot it back down to doll size, put it in my pocket, go into this um, disguised time machine. It's just a police box. I mean, it's, it's a rock. And I'm going to go inside and time travel away. And Thor's like, ha ha ha, that's what you think. I'm going to use my hammer to spin your TARDIS, and you're going to lose all control and just get zapped into um, the the spaceless space and timeless time between all dimensions. And that's where you'll stay until the next time we have a story that uses you. Yep. So So that happened. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Hmm. remember, Remember how we had the conversation? a few episodes back about how it's been like two years of comics since Don Blake's mortal life. Uh Uh-huh. He left his mortal life to go do the trial of the gods. That was issue Mm -hmm. 116. He has Mm -hmm. not been back and it's issue 140. That is a full 24 issues, two years of comics. And he says, it's a good thing. I've only been gone a few days. Is that what he said? I know he said he was on vacation. Yeah, he mentions it. I'll find the panel, but a few days. That's impossible. Unless Asgard time is different than Earth time. I wrote down as page eight. Um, page page eight, eight. Panel two. My files are all in order. Luckily, my other physician friends and associates filled me during my absence. It's hard to believe... I've oh, only been it's gone very hard to believe. A few days. Yeah, Don, it's really hard to believe. <laughs> that is just ridiculous. Yeah, that makes no sense. That's not possible. Um, he says at the end of the issue that he's still got to figure out his mortal life. And I kind of mm-hmm. want him to be wrong. I kind of want his mortal life to be really jacked up. And this scene with him in the office, he doesn't mm-hmm. realize that his office is the way he left it. Because the off the 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 space was seized and no one's been able to get into it or something like that. I don't know. I realized just more drama. Yeah, yeah. 
I realize if they seize your facilities, they're going to confiscate everything. They're not just going to leave it there until later. But that's kind of what I want. Well, apparently he's had other physicians taking care of business. So he's continued to make money and pay his rent and pay the janitor. I guess. Um, Yeah, (laughs) I don't know. We were just talking about how like Don not being in this book made this book better too. So it's like... Do I even want him back? Yeah. So far, he's not bringing anything to the table that I care about. Yeah, I feel like Thor was like thinking, oh, wait, wasn't Earth a thing I was doing? I should do Earth mm-hmm. again. I'm going to go Earth. And he goes back to his office. He's like, And I think the only reason it serves in the story is to get him on the scene when the growing man is going crazy on Earth. And this- and there's and that, that was weak sauce anyway. So you could have had any number of ways for Thor to come across this giant monster. This is basically a filler issue. Yeah. I hate the whole, like, oh, you know how to contact Thor. Just like, well, no point in me even having a secret identity at this point. And why are they driving him out to the site? <laughs> Just to get killed, I guess. Because he knows how to con. How is he going to contact Thor in the middle of the forest? Right. There are no Do you think the entire Marvel stand? Universe knows that Don Blake is really Thor and they're just not telling him? I think the entire Marvel Universe knows everybody's secret identity and they just don't say anything. <laughs> It's just like Human Torch in high school all over again. Yep. It's the only time that was ever let out was in, what was that, Midvale or whatever? I don't know where that was. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's kind of bogus that Thor was head over heels smitten with Sif. And then this issue, it's like, eh, I'm not sure. On the fence. Whatever. See and you later. he sticks his foot in his mouth. And she gives him the chance to pull it out. He just shoves it in further. Uh, to her credit, though, I do like that. She's not down with it. Yeah. Yeah, she's not. It's, she's not like, okay, my beloved, I'll wait for you. That does not happen. It's like the one half-redeeming aspect of the sexism in these comics is when the ladies are not okay with the sexism. Uh-huh. But then right. it gives them a place to complain about the way that they're, you know, and I don't think that, like, that's a really nice trope either. No. Because you, so, you associate oh. female characters with complainers. Is she the sister of Hemdale yes. or Balder? Uh, I thought it was Balder. I thought it was two. Now she says Hemdel on that page where she's not having any of his maildom. Hmm. But I don't know if that was a mistake or if I've just been wrong this entire time. I thought, okay, it is Hemdel. Wow. I don't know where I was reading Balder. Yeah, I feel like maybe that was said whenever she was brought in that she was the sister of Balder, but like maybe we just misremembered. You know, that is great then, because last issue, I was a little hinky about her being able to just wave her hands and transport them wherever she wanted. But if she's the sister of, ba- of Hemdell, of course she can do that, because that's their thing. They, all, they both could do that, right? Now, wait a second. Her first story was an abduction story. And, and it was Balder. I really thought it was Balder there, yeah. Well, this Wikipedia thing says Hemdell, so. Maybe they realized they dropped the ball and they have fixed it on the fly. Yeah, maybe. Maybe uh, I'm down with that. If they or or that was a different Sif, could or be something. Sif. I mean, we know the Sif only means wife, so it could be anybody. <laughs> any wife will do. Yeah. Um, did you have any guesses when they were talking about this growing man having a master? No. Zip zero zilch. No idea it was Kang. And what happened to Kang between pages ten and twelve? Well, so there's a police squad full of there's this police car full of cops. There's three of them, right? Mm-hmm. But then on page 12, there's four of them. So I'm wondering if, like, one of them's dead and the other one's being tossed. I don't know. Like, I think that they are just fight. He made the thing grow and the cops are fighting it when they get him on the scene. 
But there's not enough cops. Yeah, there's not any sort of storytelling that links those. Other than him holding the doll behind his back and saying, I'm going to get you. Maybe, maybe. He's like, you guys are just cavemen to me. And he's holding the thing. But then, like, we cut to... Yeah, it's not hard to presumably, know, Price. It's just weird that there's no connective yeah, tissue whatsoever. Yeah. Presumably, he just sprinkled water on the thing and it got bigger and started killing all the policemen. That's what happens to me. Mm-hmm. Um, he talks about his fights with the Absorbing Man. The editor's note says there's a whole caboodle of them, but I think there were only two. They were multi-parters. This guy reminds... You know, every time, like... I think there was that Hercules... Uh, cartoon that disney one where he fights the hydra mm-hmm. and then like at some point someone screams stop cutting off his head because every time you cut off his head two more grew ah and it's like yeah stop hitting this guy every time you guys hit this guy he gets bigger right. <laughs> at the beginning the cop just keeps shooting and shooting it's like oh every time you shoot him with a bullet he's getting bigger i can't help it i've got to keep shooting him and then Thor's like, oh, when I hit him, he got bigger. But that's okay. I'll just hit him harder. It seems like he can get bigger on his own, but also hitting him makes him get bigger. Yes. He must absorb kinetic energy or something. Um, they keep misspelling Mjolnir. We've had mm. this, we get our third spelling on page 16. We've had IR, which is the customary spelling. We've had mm-hmm. ER. And then on page 16, we get AR. Oh, boy. So, you know. Those Norse words. I guess you got to learn how to spell them. What'd you think of that solution? Did you just sigh and go, that's too easy? Or was that just me? It felt really, really fast. Like they could have gone well, into another light, story. Light speed, yeah. yeah. They could have taken this into another story. And instead they're just like, mm, nope. No. So that basically means anytime Thor wants, he can throw his hammer at you. And it whips around you faster than light. Mm-hmm. Put you out of time. In a universal infinity vortex. Anytime he wants, I guess. But somehow Hulk can beat him. (laughs) You people. (laughs) You don't know nothing. Well, Kang and the Growing Man will both return in the Avengers 69. This just, I think what a problem is, this just didn't seem like an epic enough thing for Kang. He's too big for this. This throwaway story. He needs to uh, resonate more. Yeah, I agree. He shows He's up. just using this growing man. He's like testing it in the field, but I don't know. Kang needs to be conquering, not practicing to conquer. Well, what it said is he developed it here and it's tiny and he hit it because all his like uh, in the future, all his all the uh, people against him would have interfered with it or stolen That's it. That's right, because they so find it at the here. story. And they just find it. And he's like, oh, man, you guys found this thing you weren't supposed to find. That still seemed a little weird and suspect, but whatever. Not enough. We need a 10-part Avengers epic where he takes over the entire world and alters reality. And they're all enslaved and stuff. That'd be more fun. I'd dig it. All right. The battle begins. Battle begins. So the um, searching for Mogul of the Mystic Mountain, hereditary enemy of Hogan the Grim, I inherited an enemy. Mighty Thor and his three immortal companions are attacked by Mogul's gigantic slave, the mind-staggering genie devil. And now let the grandeur thus unfold. A glory-drenched masterwork by Stan the Man Lee and Jack King Kirby, inking Vince Coletta, lettering Sam Rosen. The really big genie dude beats up the Asgardians, picks up Hogan, is about to break him when Fandral stabs him in the fist. He's like, no, he blasts the ground under the Asgardians, and we change scene to Mogul down underground in Xanadu. He's like, yeah, Genie's winning. That's pretty cool. Um, but then nighttime comes, 
And the genie's like, oh no. And he disappears in a puff of smoke. So the Asgardian is like, mm. okay, let's go down the stairs into Z- Xanadu and find Mogul and kill him. Next, Alabar and the 40 demons. Yeah, this was kind of fun. They they fought a giant Hulk, basically, with a top knot. Basically, I don't know. I just feel like the story's. I'm done with it. Like, I don't, I don't know. It's just, they're, they fight this guy. I don't know what else I wanted them to do. They fight the guy and they're, they, they're, they're just drawing out fighting the guy. Yeah. And then night times and makes night comes and makes the genie disappear. That seems like a cop out, but it also seems like they set themselves up to lose this fight. There was no way that the Asgardians mm-hmm. could win it. So they had to like cheat. Mm-hmm. By the way, you yeah, right. I didn't really understand that whole explanation business actually. That's what had happened. It turned night, so he had to leave. Yep. He says earlier in the chapter, okay. you know, I must fight you before night comes. And they even make a joke about how we'll die just as easily at nighttime in the dark. And uh, mm-hmm. the night comes, and it's like the opposite of a vampire. Hmm. Never heard that one before. Well, that's because no one has ever told that story with the genies before. I looked it up. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, guess if you're going to make up magic stuff, why not? Well, I actually, in my research on that, I found out something interesting about the um, the genie. It's like in a Muslim belief system, you know, you have your sort of cosmology of beings. Like, you know, the Christian Judeo Judeo Christian tradition has angels and demons. Um, the Muslim tradition has those and others, including genie. And mm-hmm. not believing in genie is considered by some branches of Muslim tradition to be like. Like a Christian saying they wouldn't believe in angels. It's just like, what? why, why not? That's just part of the way things are. Mm-hmm. But um, nothing about them disappearing in the nighttime. Yeah. It's just, this is like round three with this genie. And he just keeps coming and going. And it's like, okay, come on already. I think he's done now. So we're going to go fight Mogul. And maybe that'll be good. Or maybe we're just, maybe. you know, marking time until the series is over. <laughs> I don't know. Until it's over. Yeah. And we get our Aunt May back up. Yes, we need the Aunt May back up. They should give Sif her own 10-pager every every issue. Did you have anything else on this? Nope. <laughs> because it's really not much to it. Um, Do we have any uh, ex- extent uh, behind, whatever you call it, uh, bonus features? Right. I guess? So Gene Hendricks is our Asgardian advisor. Uh, he's a podcaster. Mm-hmm. He also helps out with the Two True Freaks website and Twitter feed. He is Gene Gene, the podcasting machine, and he is a worshiper of the Norse gods. So he writes in to help us understand the the Norse connections in these tales of Asgard, few though they may now be. And uh, he says, not much of a battle here, especially with the never-before-seen darkness turns the djinn to vapor weakness. <laughs> He's a daywalker. Right. I wonder if Stan and Jack knew that Tales of Asgard was coming to a close and they were trying to draw out the story to fill the pages. That's what I've been thinking, because that's what it feels like. Yep. It's felt like that for a while, though. Because we only have five more of these. And if they they finished this like now, that'd be enough room for one more small arc. Mm. But it feels like they're not. It feels like they're going to drag this out for five more chapters. Oh, my God. Yeah. Um, He says that or they were running out of ideas, even though they hadn't tapped a lot of the Norse lore available. Either way, this was Thor and the Warriors 3 thrust into an Arabian tale. And honestly, with the name Alibar and the 40 Demons, it seems like more Arabian Mm -hmm. tales to come. Yeah. Which is weird. So bummer. Yeah. But um, on that cheery note, that's four comics. (laughs) Yeah. We kind of ended on... 
the worst one, maybe, but that's okay. That happens. Well, I didn't love King and the Growing Man. I didn't love this. And as much as I don't want to say, I no. think it puts Thor in a contender spot. It does. It really does. But this is also just the beginning. So we've only had two this month. Right. For all we know, this is the best issue of the month outside of Sergeant Fury. <laughs> all right. Ready for um, homework. homework for next episode? We're going to do Tales of Suspense 90, Strange Tales 157. Fantastic Four, 63, and The Avengers, 40. And if we run short, we will do Amazing Spider-Man, 49. We did not run short this week, and we haven't run short much lately, but I just feel like it's important to include now. Yeah. Um, Where can they find us? MakeOursMarvel.com, or you could just type MakeOursMarvel into your favorite podcast app, but if that doesn't work, go to MakeOursMarvel.com. There's an RSS feed. You can hopefully plug into that app that's being pesky, or you can also find links to you know iTunes and Spotify and whatever the heck Android people use. you also find links to our Facebook and Twitter pages where you can contribute and comment and just follow along. And then lastly, if you really want to contribute, you can write us a cool original letter written just by you to podcast at makearsmarvel.com. Um, also on the website is a PayPal link, so feel free to drop a tip in the tip jar. I can be found at John Reads Comics on Twitter. Mike can be found on Twitter at Kaiser the Great. My other podcasts, Return to Cybertron and Dino Squad Goals, talking about Transformers and Japanese superheroes, can both be found on the Twitter feed at TFUK Podcast or the podcast feed Return to Cybertron. And, um, yeah, so say hi to us there and we will be back next week. So until then, or until Candy Southern becomes the leader of the Angels superhero team, make ours Marvel. Marvel.